Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 12. Today we have Louise Allen of uh, Louise Allen Cattle Grooming Service and a lot more stories to tell as well. Uh, if you want to say hello there, Louise. Hello, how are we getting on? <coughs> Louise has done the, 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 the kind gesture of actually putting her name on her shirt for us, so don't forget halfway through. Uh, not that I think that would happen. Um, but uh, yeah, just before we get into sort of Louise's story and whatnot, guys, if you just want to, well, nobody wants to listen to boring stuff, but uh, if you don't follow me on Facebook and Instagram, check out Rural to Kitchen there. Um, and also for, uh, subscribe on YouTube, which is Rural to Kitchen. It was Rural to Kick then for a while, but I didn't realise until a couple of weeks back. Uh, so yeah, subscribe on there and you'll find the podcast there and the other best place to find them is Spotify. Uh, I know Louise has told me she listens to podcasts on Podbean and there's loads of different ones and I'm trying to find ways to get them on there. So get in touch with me over whichever medium comments on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram and tell me where you find them and I will do my best to get them over there. But enough of me. Um, Louise, tell us about yourself. What's your sort of background? What's your sort of story up until maybe even if you sort of left school or something like that? So I am, obviously I'm Louise Allen. I am 27 years old. Unfortunately, I'm 28 next month. And I originate from a small beef and sheep farm in the southwest of Scotland. So I come from a farm called Arnsow. It is run by my mum and dad. We run just over 100 um, yows, which are a mixture between kind of three-quarter texels and mules, which we put back to the texel and we're finishing lambs there about 41 to 44 kilos. Everything there is going through Craig Wilson Market as well. We have quite a good reputation for good lamb. Um, and then we recently made a slight diversification in our farm as well. We moved from a complete suckler farm to pedigree shorthorns, which was always a small dream of the families was to have this small pedigree herd. And we bring on young stores to a slightly higher store finishing weight. And again, they're sold back through Craig Wilson. Um, my full-time occupation is I'm head nurse at Love Street Vets in Paisley. And I also run Louise Allen Cattle Grooming Service, which is a... Um, self-employed basis service throughout most of Scotland and Northern England where um, I offer services of grooming cattle, bringing out young stock, um, essentially sort of cattle show and prep as well for sales or on-farm prep. We also offer a service of pre-sale clipping or pre-show clipping so even if it's just for uh, stores etc going into the market we'll offer a tail belly and head service there um, and the same for housing cattle as well um, just I was educated at Carrick Academy and I left there in uh, 2011 and then I went on to Barney College uh, good old Barney yay <laughs> uh, down in Dumfries and I that's where I studied uh, veterinary nursing and when I finished my HNC there I actually took a short break from vet nursing I felt I'd for anyone that knows about vet nursing it's a very you're that two and a half years is you're absolutely focused on nothing but it as well and it's very time consuming the placement is grueling the the exams and the dissertation is grueling um and I took a short break and I worked for Cogent UK down in Chester just for a short period just to get a bit of a break from it um and after 11 months as well I decided that actually I wanted to come back to vet nursing, but more on a self-employed basis. And that's where I took up locum. And, and again, that's where I managed to incorporate my cattle grooming business as well as I could run the two of them along, juggle the two of them along. I don't know if I run them or I juggle them um, just side by side. So, but my main, my main love is always going to be cattle. It's always a first thing. My fiance might argue these days and say that sheep is more my thing, but definitely cattle has always been, always come first and, 
it's certainly something I hope to to continue for a long time yet. Oh, that's it. It's always nice to hear when your fiance's right, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so it was just fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't, don't get into that. Um, <laughs> you, you're, so you're brought up on a farm. Was it always farming always for you, or no? You know. Oh, I think so. I, I mean, I think. Yeah. I, I think my uh, parents would tell you when I was young, younger as well. My, I have a brother and sister, and my brother was very much if you showed him a cow, he had no interest and. He went straight for the tractor, whereas Alice and I were were more towards the livestock side of things. And as I got older, I found myself taking more of an interest in not just the fact that there was cows and sheep there, more to do with the the business side of things. And um, and like I said, with the diversification we made last year with shorthorns as well, I, was, I mean that was a complete breed change for us. We went from being limousine um, terminal sire over the top of our, of our circular cows, and we changed to shorthorns and stuff as well. Just we saw a big change in our lifestyle and things, and we thought, well, let's let's ease things. Well, let's look for a breed going there to to go forward with, and and that was something I took an interest in. But yeah, from a, from a young age as well, it always had to be cows. And when I got the showing bug, I mean most show people you'll hear when you when you get bitten by that bug it's oh it's a drive you just can't get enough of it and it's, it's something you're always striving to do better um and if you do get to the top I'm pretty sure all the the top breeders are always striving to stay at the top as well but no it was never never machinery never anything else it had to be had to be cows had to be farming something of that sort yeah good stuff good stuff and I mean you sort of covered uh that you, you you're a cattle groomer and you're a vet nurse um I'll get into the vet nursing in a minute, but I'd quite like to just quickly ask, what did what did your nine or ten months of cogent involve? Um, it was pretty <clears> much um, semen sales throughout um, southern Scotland and northern England, England as well. It was it's quite a difficult job, and I think the guys that do it full time as well do an amazing job at it. Um, the beef market they were trying to bring that forward and things. They're a great selection of stud sires there. Um, but we found as well the, the trouble that market there and as a sales rep as well, somebody who's trying to advise people on cattle that calf or beef farmers aren't like dairy farmers as well. Dairy farmers constantly need that supply of semen going through for their cows, whereas the beef ones as well, they weren't servicing cows all year round. There was more that main uh, autumn uh, autumn service and spring service kind of April, April and October time. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons I decided that it maybe just wasn't fully for me. I just maybe needed to come away from it just because of the, I wasn't getting enough from the job. I mean, I think they're an excellent company and they've really driven the market, especially with um, the hosting, hosting side of it, they've worked well with all the other major companies, especially in America. But um, there was a lot of travel involved, involved as well. You were doing a lot of conversations with farmers and things as well and um, trying to see how their setup was as well. Was AI suitable for them as well? Or were, were they easier running a bull out over the top of it? So a lot of that time was spent. I was quite young at the time as well. So again, that always went against me, I think, sometimes as well, because I was quite young and some people would see coming on the farm and were like, well, what is she going to tell me that I don't already know? So again, there was a slight sometimes as well, um, probably communication barrier near, near, nearly as well. But no, I still enjoyed my time there. I had um, I attended one of the main conferences out in Marbella where they were they were bringing on new products for the Duke of Westminster. And uh, yeah, I think they're a, they're a great company with a really bright future towards it. And if you ever get a chance to go to the setup down there, they're... Their setup is fantastic. Their bull stud itself is is phenomenal. Um, the, the bulls are immaculate, absolutely immaculate, and they have 
areas for them to exercise and they have they have places for them as well so they can keep them clean they're exceptionally kept as well and um oh yeah definitely worth a visit if you ever get the chance to go down there and see see the setup for that lot that might be a good one to take our students to that sounds good yeah um but the trip to Marbella sounds good as well but I mean I might go one of them myself <laughs> it was um it, it was it was very very professional and stuff until the end of the th- end of the um of the whole whole trip and stuff and then there was a lot of mojitos and stuff and it was, oh, it was just a great trip a fantastic trip as well and, and kudos to them for taking that amount of employees out in one go and having them all sitting in one room <laughs> yeah bit of fair days on that one um you said you went to Barney uh, to study vet nursing and it, it was quite intense. What, how, what sort of hours were you doing on placement and how did the sort of placement work? So your placement, um, they expected you on anywhere, I think, I can't remember off the top of my head how many hours it was you had to complete in a year. Um, the intensity of it was at that point is that the SRUC um, had changed then from the main point of dissertation, so where you obviously had to create a dissertation as so well to hand in, and they changed it to what was called an NPL with the vet nurse, and, and that was what they called a nursing progress log. And at that time, it wasn't quite perfected, so there was what they call tasks into and there was 365 tasks you had to complete online and they had to be demonstrated to you you had to demonstrate them back and then you had to perform them to a certain standard as well where that your clinical coach essentially felt you were at that standard but you could work your butt off and stuff and and just never be just quite there as well what they felt confident you could do that on your own that at the same time is trying to um study for exams and um also trying to complete projects and things as well so you're all, you're all given individual project projects to complete I think I did mine on oh what did I do mine on I did I think mine was on bacterial growth within um certain parts of a hospital like where was actually like where different things did so you have to work a lot with labs and stuff as well it was just very very time consuming and veterinary itself as well is is a it's a fantastic, it's an absolute outstanding profession to be in veterinary, whether you're a nurse or you're a vet or you're a receptionist or you're an animal care assistant as well, but it's so underappreciated by the general public as well because the NHS, we have an NHS for humans and people don't understand with that with animals as well that, that things are expensive and it costs a lot of money and, and they don't realise as well that that two and a half years that I didn't sleep for practically and um, this is what has come back to so the knowledge that I gained on that so because you're just especially the nurses bless them that you're, you're given two and a half maximum four years I think if you do the um, the degree to drill and drill and drill information into your mind as well, that you make sure that you're making correct decisions for an animal, essentially. So, I mean, you always have backup support, but it is so time-consuming and exhausting is probably the best way to go up, but the actual job then is so rewarding. I mean, I'm, you you get days and things, you think, why on earth am I doing this? And then you then something happens, you see an animal that is on death's doorstep, managed to go home or wag its tail or eat for the first time and stuff, and you, you realise why you love your job. But it's a big thing with veterinary. Um, I'm a big um, ambassador and, and believer in, in positive mental health and things. So if anyone's listened to this as well, has ever had a... Had a um, that experience with vets and things as well it's there it's unfortunately one of the I think it's the second highest suicide rate in, in the UK because of things this I don't think people understand actually as well how much pressure that they're, they're put under um, and like I said most of it comes down to the fact that people don't understand the cost and behind what it costs to run a veterinary practice and things as well and to take that knowledge from from a vet but 
No, I still oh. I would still recommend it to people if they I've met nursing was ever a project and they um it's it's a rewarding rewarding thing to go into. That um the, the NHS point I'd never considered because we're so lucky with the NHS and you know the fact we don't understand that what we're getting costs so much money and then you just sort of translate that over to vet veterinary, you just assume well that should be free as well. I never considered that mentality and the sort of those using you, you know, custom. That must be quite tricky to work with, actually. Yeah, I never, never thought of that. And then your 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 suicide statement there. I mean, we, we hear high of you know people working on their own and whatnot in agriculture, and, and it's it's high in agriculture, too high in every industry. If there's yeah. one, you know, but I never I never thought of that either. I mean, just just for those listening um, and yourself, Louise, if you want to listen to this as well, this is R two Cast twelve fourteen. We'll be with Stephanie, who's the. Uh, the Farm Safety Foundation leader, the Yellow Wellies person. She'll be talking a bit about that if you're interested in mental health and agriculture. So uh, just a bit of a slight caveat there. But um, yeah, the placement sounds intense, but at least at least once you're done, you're gonna you're gonna have covered you're gonna have covered a lot of stuff for that stage. 365 tasks. That's that's mental. Um, and some of them were I think some of them were duplicated. I remember thinking in one of the sections, I was like, oh yeah, I've got it all complete. And then I looked later on and realized actually it had been duplicated but into just a slightly different format. I'm like, I could have had this all done in one go and stuff, and then you had to put it on start again. But they've tweaked it ever so slightly now. And and I think the RCBAs, which is their our main governing body, have looked at it a bit better and realized as well that it was getting to the stage, it was putting um young nurses under too much pressure and things as well and they weren't coping well with the fact that there was so much to do in that they weren't focusing on other parts of, the, of their um of their studies essentially as well and they were possibly like passing one part but failing the other one essentially it should be a, a far better balance but I think they've tweaked it much better and and uh, certainly the, the clinical coaches are doing a great job with all the young, like young nurses that are coming through so it's pretty positive I'm hoping they I don't know where all nurses go <laughs> I've just um, I've just taken on taken on another fantastic nurse to work, work alongside me and stuff and how I found it I don't know because it's amazing yeah. looking for nurses at the moment as well nurses and vets is, is getting to be a, a very very fine um, a fine era at the moment as well and it's very famous I mean for any guys listening as well like don't worry about being a guy and saying you want to be a nurse I've worked with some great male nurses um, and some great male vets but it seems to be getting to be a, a very female dominated industry again um, I don't know why that why that is but um, I don't think anyone should ever be afraid just because they're of one sex to try try something a bit different Is there any gender domination natural vet side of things or is it quite split? So I would say that 20 years ago, um, it was more male dominated, certainly on the large animal side. I mean, I've seen um, even our farm vets and things as well. Our whole farm practice is now, I'm pretty sure it's all female dominated and they are absolutely class. Well, a big shout out to the girls at Robertson and Orr. They are a class service. <coughs> and um, Katrina Hasty, who's a lead vet there as well, is one of the most able women I have ever come across uh, it really doesn't matter what size something is as well she's got such great technique and and nature with, with clients and and with animals and things as well she's just a fantastic vet but yeah over the last 20 years i would say we've seen this industry go from being very male dominated through to more female so and i noticed that i used to work up at the dick vet at, um, in edinburgh and i've done a bit of work at glasgow and, and even then the students are coming through i would say 65 percent are female um, and only 35 percent are, are male um don't know why why it is yeah. maybe more women realizing as well that they that they can they can they can challenge the men to things um 
certainly, like I said, back on farm and whatnot as well. If you've got a big calf and as well, I trust the girls at Robinson and Orr that they'll get a live calf out as good as any man whenever would. They've got the strength there and they're not afraid to ask for help either. I think that's another thing that's quite good with yeah. um with with any sort of vet, a vet that's willing to ask for a little bit of help if they need a hand lift a calf out from a C section or needing needing a bit of help get something out. But yeah, I think it's a good thing for for somebody to ask for that bit of help. We're all in it together at the end of the day, aren't we? You know, working with each other's strength. Yeah. yeah. Um, just just sort of focusing in on your actual day job there, Louise. What what's a day in in the life of Louise Allen like? Oh, a day in the life of Louise <laughs> Allen. Um, so it's all it's very year dependent. Um, depending on yeah. what time of year we're at as well. So at, right now, um, in a normal year as well, I would have cattle for shows and things throughout the summer. So very much the whole day is spent around them. They're feeding feeding timings as well um we feed small regular meals to encourage good gut flora and good gut health so it would be an early start in the morning to get the first feed in, into them um but at the minute as well it's get up in the morning i have got a, a 12 month old collie pup called toy if anyone's on my facebook toy makes a regular appearance on my facebook um so we i run her first thing in the morning she's just not quite there for training yet training yet she's she's doing well but she's just about ready to go and, and start being a big girl um, and then if I'm on an early shift, late shift as well, either popping the train up to Paisley or if I'm on a late shift as well, I'll try and do a few jobs here. Lambing time's a bit different here as well because I'm up early. Andy will go to the hill. Um, well, I live over at Grimmett now as well. So Andy runs um, Grimmett Farm for the Campbell family who are from Glenrath, if anyone's a big chicken fan. Yep. I think they're the biggest uh, production of uh, free-range eggs in Europe at the moment. So I would deal with anything that was inside as well and anything that was in the fields next to the house as well, I kind of try and help out with. And Andy would go to the hill. Um, but like I said, if there's cab, if there's show calves and stuff or things over, get the jobs done here, over to so sort the stuff out, out there, and then it's a day up to work. And work is a is an eight-hour day. It's some people say, oh, that's not a very long day, but when you don't get a lunch break because you're so busy or you haven't managed to go for a pee because you're so busy, the day seems a lot longer. Um, and then come back in the evening and, re- and repeat anything in the evening. So again, back out with toy or if there's show cattle and stuff there as well. Um, normally try and do have them brushed and, and blown up at least uh, two to three times a week and normally try and do them in the evenings just when they're um, nice and fresh there. But again, everything's very time dependent between calving and things. Um, we were calving our shorthorns recently and depending on who was on calving that night, sometimes you were having to get up a bit early, go over and have a look at the cows and things. Or if dad was still at work and he noticed something just wasn't right, he'd give you a phone. So one of us would go over and, and have a look at the cows there as well. But no, it's a very busy day, but I still I still seem to manage to. <laughs> I don't know. I still think I get about six or seven hours sleep a night. Just. <laughs> That's very good then. That's very good. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, what in, in the in the vet practice? Are you focusing on small and large animals then? I take it. Um, so when I'm at, it's totally small a small animal, it- but um, we. I worked with a really cool vet called Kath Wilson, who was um, a farm vet up near, I think she was a Cobarkin vet. Um, or just now it's got some air skin. Um, and she sees a lot of like kind of exotic things as well. So I, I've i literally seen myself when standing there and there's a python sitting in the room and I'm terrified of snakes. I just don't go near it. Um, but we see anything from ferrets, rabbits, uh, rats, hamsters, dogs, cats, um, guinea pigs, you name it, we'll, we'll try and see it as well. I've um, 
I've got some really cool patients that I spend a lot of time with and things. I've tried to build a good kind of clientele with my clients and stuff as well, make up a, have a, more of a good like kind of working relationship with them as well. I, the biggest thing as well, I think in an industry like that as well, is that the client has to be able to trust, trust you and giving them that extra five minutes of your day whether it means taking five minutes out of my lunch lunch break, um, it makes a massive difference in things. I actually saw what I call my best friend today. It's a little dash hound called Frank, um, who was a very nervous wee dog when he first came to see me, and, and we've worked hard with him to make him come right. But he's great. He's a cool dog. Yeah, that must be satisfying, taking them from nervous or unwell to, to the opposite, you know. Oh, um, unbelievable. <laughs> You you mentioned toy there. You said did you say twelve weeks? Ellie, it's about twelve months. It's just twelve months. Twelve months. Sorry, I was because you said you were getting them ready to go out, and I was like, God, that's young. But uh, okay, so you're starting to get them out, sort of about that year mark, yeah. Yeah. So uh, she she is. Oh, she's sorry. She. That's fine. She's got a couple of brothers and sisters who are just at the trialing stage at the moment, and um, so they're actually already away doing a lot more. But um, the focus we have for Toy in the future is to be a hill dog as well. So we have spent a lot more time just taking it steady with it. I sometimes get frustrated thinking sometimes she should be a bit further on, but um, and luckily we're surrounded by a team of Welshes, so we've got um, Will Welsh down the road who has got a, a huge track record as well of running running dogs, there's Billy Welsh over at Beak as well, it was Tony Welsh um, and Robbie Welsh and things as well and, and they've been they've been great as well because I'm a first first time for a dog like this and they've all said the same thing with us, just take it steady with us, she's going to be a good hill dog, she needs her time but she is patience testing, she has she has, uh, tested my patience more than more than once, um, she was quite funny actually. I think that's we were so when when they're young, we keep them in the house in the house just in a crate, teach them good uh, house manners just in case anything became unwell. The farm dogs can come in the house. We said one night, well, let's let's take Toy to the beach. That was absolutely fine. We took her to the beach, and she has no interest. Toy has no interest in the sea or sand or anything as well. What she was more interested in there was this group of swans. And I was like, why is she so focused on the swans? And it, I think she thought they were like sheep and she was trying to round them up into a group. And I was like, she's going to end up getting pecked by a swan. So she gave up on the swans. Well, so she found a group of children and rounded them up and stayed into, into a pack. And I think they were a little bit scared. I mean, this, this tiny puppy's running circles around them, like trying to put them together. And I'm going... I don't want to do this dog, dog well, but she's um, she's totally focused on sheep. She kind of she doesn't care about toys or teddies or anything. A Kivex and eight bottle seems to be her favourite thing to play with if she wants to play. Um, but yeah, she's just a wee bit. She's just not quite ready to go. But hopefully in the next month or so as well, we'll be we'll be seeing her fly. Yeah, she's cool. She's a pretty cool dog. It's it's never the the toys you pay a hundred quid for, is it? It's the bucket or the box that it comes in, you know. Um, no, she she sleeps in straw now. She um, she's an absolute toad. I bought her a really nice bed from uh, Three Peaks. I thought that's really nice, a really tough bed. She ate it within the first week, so she now looks like a homeless dog as well on her little straw bed. And she sits and pretends she's homeless. And I'm like, you ate your other bed. You're not getting another one. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Well, um, Louise, you you've jumped into cattle grooming. How how does that come about? Was that just doing it a bit at home, or did you just go off the farm and start that? Oh, it's you know I had when you sent me through some some of the bits and bobs we talk about I had to have a real think about actually how this all came about. So um, I used to do a wee bit of help next door with the next door neighbours dairy calves, and I remember I always remember being at I think I was at Dorimple Show, and Hugh and Lot was there with Stuart and Jacqueline, and they had a couple of like really smart beef calves, and I was kind of like I really really liked the look of them. I really liked. 
I, I, I don't know, they, I remember it being quite a nice day and stuff. And I was only about, I think, 12 at the time as well. And I rem, remember like the kind of sun on them as well and they really kind of glittered and things. I think actually one of those calves went on to do quite well at Smithfield. And that kind of like, it got into my idea that that's what I, that's what I kind of wanted. So when I was 14, I got a, um, I bought mum and dad, a calf off mum and dad for the Young Farmers Rally and I bought it back. Now, I, to me, he was the best thing in the whole world. And we got to the show and he was second last in both of his classes and it was so weird because the calves that were last the calf that was last in the first class actually won the second class and the calf that was first in the first class was last in the second so it was, yeah. it was quite funny so um and I was determined from that on a stage on as well I was gonna I wanted to do better than that and I wanted to go from there and um, so we I sold him on and I managed to buy a better calf at this point Alice was kind of looking into it as well she was kind of saying oh, I kind of like the idea of this and the two of us would we put together that we, we couldn't really afford to buy anything hugely fancy but what we were purchasing was was making enough profit that we could always upstate upstage from there and then um I did quite well with a couple, I had a couple of really really smart um commercial cattle that did well at the Beef Expo and they did well at Live Spot and uh, a few other local shows um, and and from then on as well I kind of I was watching how people were clipping because I really wasn't very good I mean some people might say I'm not very good at getting still but I was watching how people were clipping and I really wanted to get better at, at it and um, I found myself um I kind of asked around for a little bit of work as well. I'd had I'd had some great tuitions well through the young farmers, which is has been a big thing with cattle dressing. But I was I kind of asked for a little bit of work at bull sales and stuff as well, and and I got a bit better and I got a bit better, and eventually I started to make a, quite a good name for myself with it. And and then it got to the stage actually I was thinking actually I could probably make something out, out of this. And then I went down. When did I go? So Mike and Melanie Alfred were having quite a big sale with female with females. Uh, I think that was 2017. Yes, it was. It was 2017. And Mel invited me to come down and live at Foxhill um, and bring on the hef and on the heifers and stuff and get them sorted out. So I went down with them there and then I came back up and the heifers came up to their farm at Dufreeze. I came and stayed up with them there. And that was the moment in 2017 I said, I'm going to make something out of this. So we had a great sale that day. And then I got regular work with Fox Hill. I did um, three full summer seasons with them. And then I got some bull sales, whatnot, here and there. Um, and now I take I take regular bookings and things for all, all the major sales and whatnot. Um, I've got some bookings for October, I think, which I'm still trying to work into my diary. <laughs> I've got two cattle to cut this Friday, which I've not, or Saturday, which I've no idea how I'm going to have time to do, but we'll get there. Um, and even into next February, I've got bookings for next February and next May already. So, I, I mean, it was a really slow process to start with. A um, couple of people again as well. That, I mean, we're not a, we're not from a big fancy name for cattle and things as well. I come from quite a humble background and things, but it just was a case of like keeping pushing on and working with what you had and getting better and better to the stage I've got a nice... I have a nice diary of clients that I love working with and, and I'm always happy to take on new ones. So it's it's quite exciting. <laughs> so, and like, just because you don't come from whatever is deemed as perfection or whatever, doesn't mean you can't get to oh, that level. Like, no, you no. know, and people should listen to that <laughs> because it's yeah, so and, obviously and anyone that wants to do something, like even if it's not to do with cattle dressing, if it's to do with sheep or pigs or anything as well, if you really want to do it as well, don't be afraid of it. Like go in with two feet and go for it. I mean, um, I, my sister Alice as well will show you some, 
horrific pictures not quite long ago either as well of some shoulders I've clipped in cattle and stuff and I'm thinking how on earth have I still got a job doing some of these but <laughs> it, it's one of these things if you don't go in and, and learn and learn and learn from mistakes you, you you're not getting much further as well you've got you've got to bite the bullet with some of it as well but learn to take criticism and learn to take it well um it was something probably for a long time I didn't take very well I struggled with taking criticism um and especially when I went down to work for for male and I realised actually a lot of the things I'd been maybe not just doing right as well and I saw how I could be doing it better so it was a bit that was a big learning curve for me was learning to take criticism better um because I think it's something as, as humans we're quite bad at as well as when just because someone says you're not doing something right doesn't mean to say you're doing it wrong it maybe just could be done slightly better yeah 99% of the time when someone says you're not doing it right they're doing it to try and help you unless they're just being yeah. nasty but that's very rare um, no absolutely so cattle grooming career any any top moments maybe any any lower moments uh, is it taking you where's it taking you all over the uh, UK I have been from top of Scotland to the bottom of England it's, it's literally it's taken me everywhere in the UK it's taken me over the water I've been in Southern Ireland I've been in Northern Ireland I would jump on the band on a chance I'll to get over to Canada or America as well to work or even not even work as well I think even just like stand and hold a comb for some of those top studs <laughs> over there and um, just to learn um top mo- like your top moments is always going to be your own locals and stuff so local shows are, are, are what build are essentially what builds your your big ones as well you need to win your locals before you win your biggies I won my own local in 2018 with a bullock I actually put up champion earlier on that spring um, so that was a really, really big moment for me as well, was, was actually going all the way. The, sh- the family had shown at that show for straighten for a long time and had never got that far. So that was a really big moment. Um, the year, I think it was that, 20, so 2017 was a terrific year for, I was working for Mike and Mel and they were overall integrated at Highland with Fox Hill Farm, Mamma Mia. That was Oh, that was a class moment as well. I, I can't even describe how that felt to be the person that you knew in the morning you were going to be mucking that heifer out and sorting her feeding and tidying her up and then and getting the soap back in. And, to, and again, kudos to them. They bred a tremendous heifer. And it, when you work with things like that, so you, you can't complain about your job. But in the same year, we also, they were championing the reserve with the limousines. We had uh, the team of four. We won that year. The limousines, um, Cat team won the team of four, and that was two from the Fox Hill Farm stud. It was uh, where was the bull? The bull was from Harry Emsley, and the cow was from John Graham at Burn at Burn Bank. And they were, I think it was Archie McGregor was judging that year, and he just said they were just a picture of perfection when they walked away, and, and that was a real pinnacle moment. And we repeated that actually at two or three shows as well. I think I think for the next three years I worked for Fox Hill. The teams especially as well were. Um, full of foxhill cattle and stuff and it's a real privilege to bring out cattle like that it's something I, I take great pride in is when, when somebody hands you a good animal like that as well you want to you want to do your best for it um oh, to be honest the, the other really really kind of prime moment this cup the couple i could mention as well called bride farm simmentals that was one of the first herds to take me on um to work for them as well and they're set the robson family and my second family hi mom and dad if you're listening <laughs> um <laughs> They they um, brought a terrific team of bulls over, um, and I think that was a year. Was that also year twenty seventeen? I think that might be the year twenty seventeen as well. I can't remember. And they got a um, intermediate champion and reserve intermediate champion, and the bulls sold back to back for twenty two thousand and fifteen thousand. So that was quite a, 
it was a big moment. Um, but again, going back to it with you, you can have all these big successes and things as well, and it's great turning out these as well. But when it when it comes to stock as well, being able to bring out your own as well and do well do well is also a nice a nice moment too. So I'm hoping in the in the future as well we are a little herd of short horns and stuff we've we've got something we've got a couple of special calves this year so i'm hoping in the future we'll see see something nice coming off them again and stuff but yeah there's i could sit and talk about top moments all, all day oh but maybe i actually one of my top moments was <laughs> our local show i met my fiance at my local show i was really really drunk i didn't realize who he was until four years later on and i was like i've got a picture of you in my phone <laughs> <laughs> don't know why apparently four years before i'd taken a selfie with it with them so um that's probably that probably should be one of my top top showing moments as well <laughs> you got it in there you got it i'll maybe edit this so it looks like you said that first uh... <laughs> he's, no. i think he's probably listening he's going what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> brilliant um you've mentioned shows there and you know you said the sort of the the local one's almost the best and I'm not in the show circuit. All we show at is we show some Texel sheep at our local show, Aaron, and then we go up to Mid Argyle and we won it in 2012. And what an amazing feeling it was winning your local show. Um, so yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. But moving on to shows, how how has the lack of them the last couple of years impacted you? Oh, majorly, <laughs> absolutely. I'm not even going to try and lie. So my. I, so before I took on the full-time position as, as head nurse at Love Street, as well, I was fully self, self-employed. So I could take on uh, nursing work on a local basis. Um, and then uh, most of the time as well, I was I was away at shows and, and sales essentially as well, getting on. And when, when the first shows started to get cancelled with COVID, you started to see a decline. Like I was starting to worry about funds and things as how I was going to pay for things, essentially where my income was coming from. Um, so I was talking about bits and bobs and things and whatnot. I found myself taking on just local nursing work where I could and whatnot and things. Um, and that was a massive thing. And I think for any freelance stock person as well, like it's, that's a really, it was a really, really hard thing to swallow. And, and we were, I think me and, and the rest of the team that were out and about were so grateful for the customers that we did have that were still relying on, on bills and things to be broken for um, the sales. Um, that was a big thing as well. But yeah, it was it was major. I would say that was probably a, a really hard pill to swallow. Every time the phone went because the show was cancelled, you, you worried that a little bit more and, and you panicked a little bit more. Um, and luckily... Um, the markets managed to get the, the sales back up and going. I mean, I know United Auctions were running theirs online for a little while. Um, and then by the October, they were back up and going with the, with the actual public sale and the same with H&H. And that was a big thing as well, to get them back back going again. Um, I would say COVID, I think, when it came to the shows, as well, was when every time a show got can- cancelled as well, you realised that your, your social calendar was dwindling away and it was that lack of human contact as well, I think was a big thing for a lot of people. I mean, most kind of freelance people are quite so- sociable and stuff and, and you're used to going out and about and seeing a lot of people and all of a sudden when that's taken away from you and you're, you're not maybe seeing the same amount of people, people you found yourself nearly in your own little bubble and you, you didn't really know what to do. And I found that as well, that there was a lot of people who kind of, struggled with talking and things for a while like worries over work and, and whatnot and then worries over family and things and I think COVID had a lot to answer for and, and, and played a big part in a lot of things like that so yeah not fun yeah and, and I've actually asked most folk that and you know the main thing for most people has been 
you know, missing that social aspect and the good crack around it and whatnot. And and I know for yourself that's a massive part of it. It's a massive part for myself. But I wanted to ask you that because I knew actually it was it's yeah. your job. You know, it wasn't just uh, wasn't just the fun side of things. But um, yeah, I mean, one thing about the markets that's well positive really for the whole is how prices have went since COVID. Oh, but, um, yeah, and it's good to see. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but from a from a missing shows, it's been it's been strange and on shows as well. The first time I think I probably ever saw yourself was uh, you you did a lot of training and and uh, performing with a lot of the folk I went to uni with, Jess, Mary, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Tug of war, tug of war. Could you tell us a bit about tug of war? How you get into that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that all came back. That was young farmers, and um, again I thought I would go along, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be really good at this, and you suddenly realise that you are not very good good at this. <laughs> and um, so air that year was training alongside um, Comores and we were always second to Comores. We were we could not get by in any of the competitions until the Highland. And um, it came to air and Comores in the fight in the final. Mary was on, I think Mary was on my team that year, or was the year after, I can't remem- remember. Um and we ended up just coming up above Comores and stuff. We ended up winning it. And again, that was another another thing. Tug of war, tug of war really gets you hooked onto it. So from then on, the tug of war kind of developed. I was doing quite a lot with young farmers, and then I wanted to go on a little bit further. So I joined the Ayrshire Tug of War Club, and we were training with the men. And I thought, well, if I'm going there, I might as well join the club. And we started going to the Scottish. Um, Scottish competitions and again you thought your team was pretty good and then we went to the British and Irish and realised actually no we've got a lot of work to do and so our coach is Colin McBummery he's at Laura Laura Bar and he has taken a team of eight women and he has took them from a level where we were young farmers and stuff as well to now we've got um, two European titles a world title um, back-to-back British and Irish titles and stuff and you think all that stems from young farmers and stuff thinking it was all okay I mean I've traveled I've been in Sweden I've been in Germany I've been in South Africa um the world was supposed to be in the Basque country last year and I, I cancelled obviously due to Covid but again another sport that's that a lot of people think is just big burly men coming out the beer tent and stuff and it's very precise and there's a there's an exact formula to, to it as well but a terrific sport really really good sport and it's I would highly recommend to anyone who wants to have a go for, for that it's great yeah <laughs> another, I mean, another good one. yeah that's that's got to be some of the top moments you're literally a world champion or something like that's that's quite surreal oh we were <laughs> you know the, the the field that not the field essentially as well the, the the place where they had the competition on as well had um a oh my god what's it called table mountain in the background oh you really pulling with this amazing amazing sight in the background and then you had the sea out front and you could see Robben Island and Cape Town was just up behind you. I, I mean, South Africa was an amazing experience, an absolutely fantastic experience. I don't think you could ever top, top it. Um, and then to go next year, the year after, so we went from Europeans, we were winning the Europeans and Southport and we went to South Africa the year after and won, won the Worlds. We won the Europeans worlds and then the Europeans again all back to back at club level and then we were um 
silver at Europeans. We were on a really hard fourth at the Worlds as well at, at international levels. That's when you compete for your country. Um, and then um, back to being silver at the Europeans again the year after. We were just pipped at the post at the last Europeans as well. It was us against Switzerland and it went an end of peace. And in the final end, the rope wasn't moving, but it just happened to be that all 16 women that were on the rope were all cheating essentially as well and Scotland unfortunately I think we were just cheating a little bit more <laughs> or the judge caught us cheating a little bit more and, and they, they awarded the gold to the end right. to Switzerland but no Switzerland even admitted then that they don't think they were the better team that was it was a very even match but no a terrific terrific sport and and, and one that's one that's got a really really big place in my heart and stuff and I've got a lot of time for anyone who wants to ever get into it yeah, I mean, aside the cheating, it sounds like a lot of respect in it as well. <laughs> oh, so much respect. I mean, when we, when we first went to, when I went to my first World Champions in Championships, we were in Sweden. We came away with the bronze that year. And uh, I think Mary was with me that year as well, actually. And and you were on top of the world with having that bronze. And no one really, Scotland men's team were, were absolutely top. They are still top of the game. They're the best team in the world for indoor. But the women, the, the outdoor teams were just kind of coming through. And no, and nobody really knew who the Scotland women's team were. And when we went back to the Europeans after, I, you heard the Swiss and the Netherlands and and, and uh, Chinese Taipei over like, where did this Scot Scottish team come from as well? And and you've seen so much respect come from Scot to the Scottish, Scottish teams now um, from other countries, all these big countries as well, where tug of war is essentially nearly a paid sport in some of these countries. It's um, the scholarships and things for it in China, the Chinese Taipei and I think it's Jiang Mai, they have a scholarship for it. Um, uh, and it's amazing as well, like the, the number of friends you've made all over the world and people actually you keep in contact with as well that, that I love seeing doing well in their home competitions and stuff in, in, in Holland or in, in Switzerland or in Sweden. And, and I think it's terrific. It's a really, it's a, a very humbling sport. It doesn't take, it's not a lot of cost cost in it. And at the end of every match as well, you, you shake hands with a person and you have great respect for, for the team at the other end of the rope. I mean, the, the regimes that some of the girls were in, I mean, Lauren was one of the other ones that I was at uni with. Um, yeah, the regimes were phenomenal. And, you know, halfway through student life, it was it was quite different to the rest of us, it must be said. Um, what about Young Farmers? What else have you done through Young Farmers? <clears throat> I think I've tried a little bit of everything, if I'm completely honest as well. Um, I've done... The cattle dressing was always, again, one of my main, main things. Love a bit of cattle dressing, dressing me. <laughs> um, tug of war. Um, I've competed in the rally regularly. Um, I've done quite a lot to do with athletics. I never really got into the hockey um, side of things. I did have a go at netball once. It didn't end well. I got sent off for being too aggressive. So that <laughs> that was that was kind of the end of end of that. I didn't really understand this three feet thing. Why I had to be three feet away from somebody when I was trying to get the ball. Nobody kind of got that, so I was sent off for that. Um, but I have no, it, it's another thing. I humbly encourage everyone if you get a chance to try Young Farmers, tr find out about your local club, get in touch. Um, you learn so many good skills behind behind it as well. I, I make make a great group of friends. It's, it's a, a great organisation, and SAYFC should be so proud of the way that um, they have created this fantastic organisation within Scotland and brought it forward the way, way they have. It's, oh, it's it, again, it's such a humbling thing to be able to be a part of something like that. Um, concerts was another great thing. If you've got a bit of talent as well, don't be afraid to get up on stage. Talent spot, um, 
really competitive as well. Obviously, there's a good few barn dances still going as well. We're, we're known for being a bit rowdy, but they're good fun. But on a great, a great thing as well. But the netball, I do, I'm going to start leaving that to people with maybe a bit more delicacy towards that. <laughs> I don't think I'll, maybe I should have tried hockey. Maybe I'm better suited to that. <laughs> well, maybe not, given the anger with a stick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, the Young Farmers one, I would totally back that up. I mean, I never really fully joined a, a big Young Farmers club, but we started our own on Aaron. And I was only really here for two or three years, but it was, you met folk even in that small area and got some opportunities through it. And, and, and SAYFC, as you say, is it's not just what we think of the Young Farmers. It's not just a bunch of young farmers running around doing whatever. There's so much to it. So, yeah. It's, there's, uh, charity. there's a lot of charity work goes on through it as well, which is really good. Um, my sister was secretary last year and they organised what they did. I think they did. It was a Christmas Eve dip. Essentially, they ran into the sea on Christmas Eve. And I was like, you're mad. You're absolutely mad. And and they were there for ages in that water. It was absolutely freezing. And I think they raised two thousand for um, Ayrshire Hospice, which is another again another charity that's that's really close to the hearts of a lot of our young farmers members. Um, I know that Shows Young Farmers at the moment they are offering to sheet people's silage pits, um, just for a small donation toward towards the club, just to help keep the club going. Um, I think who did one recently. Was a Comores done a charity thing recent recently? There's always there's always something going on. Ayers just finished an eighty marathons for eighty years there, yeah. um, and that was a terrific success. I think they managed all eighty of them. But there's always something going on. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, I know that there's handicrafts and things going on behind the scenes at the minute in preparation for rally. So it's it's it might look quiet on social media or or, or websites and stuff for about a while as well. But you will find that there's always something in behind us that's happened. Something brewing all the time. Yeah. I mean, look, in, we mentioned mental health earlier in the podcast. Are you OK campaign run by ACYFC? Yeah, there's, there's loads of stuff going on. They're, they're great. Um, we've kind of really went around the house as well. We've covered your sort of whole story, I think. Uh, unless, have you got anything else that I might have missed out on? Have you got anything you want to tell us about? Um, your, your I, don't, I don't really think so. I mean, I mean, there's, there's I, I could... As everyone knows, I'm a complete chatterbox. I would I would talk to my own my own shadow. But I think the biggest thing as well when it comes to your your career choice, like I said, I'm a, I'm a vet nurse, and, and then anything you want to do on side side of that as well is take everything as you, if you get a chance, take it as well. And especially things like when it comes to livestock and things as well. I was always I was always a, a very wise man once told me when it came to live livestock. He says always remember the phrase. He says good sheep ain't cheap and cheap sheep ain't good. And he says, whatever you buy, the best your money can buy at that time, don't buy something just because it seems it's cheap and stuff and it's, it'll help numbers and stuff as well. If you've got the focus and, and to buy something, use that funding you've got there and build and build from there and um, and take the chances with anything you can get hold of. It's, again, livestock or, or job or anything. If you're given that opportunity, try and jump in and take it. Um, I hope... I hope to see as many young females coming on in the industry of cattle grooming before long. There's some, I mean, there's some great young girls coming on at the moment. Um, I've worked with some um, the Duncan girls that are John Dyke's daughters up in Stirling. Are two girls that are really, really coming on well. Um, Lindsay Nelson from Fife. She's another young lady that's coming on superbly. Hannah Murray through in Northumberland. It's just 
taking it all in. I could name so many young young females and stuff that's coming on as well. But yeah, and again, young young men as well at the same time that are coming through. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to keep challenging and keep going on. No, I think it's an industry that's looking strong. I don't know how you feel about it. You, you said about lamb prices and beef prices earlier on, they're expensive and long may it continue. So I hope that there's still an industry here in 50 years to come that we can still go forward with. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, we could get into a proper political and ethical debate over what will happen in 50 years, but uh, you're seeing sort of the young groomers in that, Louise. I mean, as, as the lecturer, in my nine to five, I'm seeing so many young, enthusiastic folk that I see a very bright future, and hopefully that that is that is what comes through. But uh, for those of you that are listening, Louise is just sort of showing she's a bit of a seasoned interviewer. I have interviewed Louise before, and this will go live um, the end of June, so it'll be almost eleven months ago. It was the start of August. I interviewed um, Louise before, and uh, the, the last two questions I always ask is, where do you see yourself in five years? And if you had any tips for coming into industry, what would you be? But Louise has asked the latter, answered the latter of that one already. Um, so yeah, where do you see yourself in five years, Louise? What's the plans for that? I, I hope to still be going strong with the castle. Whether um, life, uh, some people may know, I'm getting married at the end of this this year, um, and obviously a family is always something to always look at as well. But I hope to, even if I've got a family or whatnot, as well, still be going strong with the cattle as well, whether Alice takes a bit more of it on, on as well. She's she's got a great wee girl and stuff, just coming on to a wee girl. <laughs> She'll hate me for saying that. Uh, she's coming on so well, but I just hope that's still something that's going on well. I'd still like to be doing quite a lot of nurse, nursing. I'm, I don't want to take up too much of the clinical manager side. I'd like to still be very much as well a leader, as a head nurse and leading a team of nurses. Um, Farm, just still farming. That's probably the biggest thing. Is, is still being a, a little piece in this massive jigsaw of agriculture. That that's probably the biggest the biggest thing I'd like to be in five years time and and, and working working towards again striving a really good future for um for young persons and coming through. I mean, obviously, I'd really like to be a millionaire. Like I'm trying trying with this. If in five years time I might be a millionaire, we'll, we'll keep trying the Euro millions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean to buy more of the gin that you've got on your poster there uh, oh, in the background. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I think it, most folks sort of go along the lines of uh, you know sitting with my feet up on the Caribbean with a mojito or something like that. But you've done Marbella with a mojito, so why why work back? <laughs> um, There's more than one. <laughs> <laughs> I did assume that. Uh, I didn't think I'd get into it. Um, yeah, no, that all sounds good. Uh, but yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. Um, it's, it's been good to chat um, so that's the first time we've really had a discussion face to face, never actually spoke to you so it's, it's quite nice to meet folk and in, in, uh, in that even though I've sort of spoke to you for a few years but um, yeah, it's been good uh, I hope you've no, enjoyed thank yourself you. thank you uh, no, no, not at all and uh, good luck with the wedding uh, oh, hope that'll... That. <laughs> grand, we'll see you thank all later you.